Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 95 of Thrive Deeper. It's your humble host, DJ Payne here, and on this fortnight's episode, I sit down with our good friend, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and we start our new edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. We start in the book of Revelation. Oh, listen, I've been excited for this for a few months now, looking forward to getting into the book of Revelation. So we begin this week and we get through, I'm going to be generous and say we get through the first couple of chapters on this week's episode, but I hope you're ready to strap in with us. We're going to be going through the book of Revelation over the next three months, May, June, and July. And what a journey this is going to be. So get yourself ready, grab your Bible, grab your copy of Thrive, the reading guide, and get ready as we begin the book of Revelation on this Thrive Deeper. You're looking well, Matthew. I'm well, I'm looking at my notes. <laughs> That's what I'm looking at. <laughs> I've started. I've started rolling here on the recording, and I'm waiting for you to look up from the. Uh, from okay. The notes. Well, you know, we're jumping into the Book of Revelation here, and I have so many notes on this book. I, I bet you do. Uh, it's nuts. Well, we just um, we've changed our recording schedule to make things uh, a little bit e- easier for both of us as we as we go forward, and uh, also to be able to take advantage of people getting in contact with us and questions and stuff. So I'm excited for the next uh, you know foreseeable future here of how we're going to be doing the recording schedule of both Thrive Deeper and Thrive Perspectives. But Thrive Perspectives has just gone out with our overview of the book of Revelation. Yeah, well, uh, well, well it's, it's- Not really well, overview of the book of Revelation. No, we covered we covered end time stuff, yeah, which yeah. is a New Testament all through the New, and even plenty of yeah, the Old Testament the, the addresses Old Testament. that. Uh, the, the theme there, so if you, if you haven't listened to that one, that might be a good precursor episode yeah, to this. I think this. it would, yeah. Covering a, a word that a lot of people, oh man, they get they get so excited about this when we, when you bring it up in church, covering eschatology. Yeah. Great it's, word. <laughs> so, uh, you know, basically the study of in, in, the end, thing, times, end, yeah, times. end times. Yeah. Uh, so, so look, we've, we, we did that over on, on Thrive Perspectives. That episode is out. Go, go find that and uh, have a listen to that. I reckon that would be a great thing to listen to before you get into this one, because as we enter into a brand new edition of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide, uh, we have, uh, which is a beautiful magenta hot pink, bubblegum pink maybe. Mm, whatever. I know you select the colours. <laughs> yourself there, Matt. Uh, <laughs> we, um, we're going into um, the book of Revelation. We are. And we're going to be looking at the book of Revelation for the next three months. Yeah. You know, I, I my excitement levels have lifted as I have started getting uh, into this. I mean, I found in the, soft, the Bible software that I use, I already have had quite a bit of uh, quite a number of notes in this. I mean, it was just littered with notes and Th- that you've already made that I in the that past. I had already made, and then you know I've added more and and I I'm getting heaps out of this book. Yeah, in a really fresh way, I'm oh, getting good. heaps out of this. So well, I'm excited. Okay, well let's. I, I, I'm excited too. I'm excited too because I think if I can if I can say this, the Book of Revelation is 
I personally feel in the church today, it's a misunderstood book and it's a misused book. Mm. Well, well, this that, that gets to the heart of really, I think, what has why this is impacting me now so much. Mm. It's not that it hasn't in the past, but why particularly now? I think because in the past, I've treated the book like a puzzle to be solved. You, but now I'm treating it like revelation from God. Oh, you know. So, and you and I, so, you and I are on the same page yeah. here, my friend. And 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 now I am reading it. I think, like right at the start, you know, it says, "Blessed is the one who hears and understands the words of this book." The words of this book. Mm. And I don't think hearing and understanding the word of this book means that you work out every tiny little symbol and reference and this is referring to China and that's referring to Russia and this is yep. what this is about. No, it's, it's, it's quite abstract. This is, uh, it's like looking, if you looked at an abstract painting like Picasso's Guernica or something. Yes. And it's, you know, it's made up a whole lot of images that are conveying something about the horrors of a certain element of the Second World War and in that, in the case of Picasso's Guernica. Mm. And if you ask, well, why is the bull's head coming out of that thing and why is the horse there and why is that guy there and what is he doing there? I think you sort of miss the point of, of the painting. It's about the impression that it makes. And it doesn't, that's, that, that's very limited in, in, you know, because Revelation isn't an abstract painting. Yes, exactly. However, it's deliberately quite cryptic. But even in that analogy, a, a student of painting would yep. pull out a, a magnifying glass and look at the brush stroke. They would, yeah, that's and, right. And, 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 you know, there's there's a beauty to the book of Revelation. Yep. There's an art to the book of Revelation as you zoom in and you want to go down those historical pathways, you want to go down those prophetic pathways. It's beautiful. But the first thing, the point that you're making, you first have to stand back from that painting yeah. on the other side of the room, have a look at it and let it impact your yeah, heart and right. your soul yeah. before you can go in. Oh, that's, that's my feeling. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean... The first time I read, someone recommended to me to read Revelation in one go. Mm. They just said, read the whole thing once mm. and keep going and don't stop. Yeah. And, and I did, and it really made an impact on me. Um, it, it left me with this sense that God is doing something in the world now and that he is going to be victorious no matter what is happening, no matter yeah. what the chaos around us, mm. that, that God is going to be victorious. And it left me with this amazing sense of hope. And at that stage, those early stages, I really didn't understand many of the details, but that's the impression that I got. And, you know, and then I've gone and I've gone into all the details and to be honest, probably got a little lost in some of those details and the debates around this book. And I think we all, I think that's part of the process. Yeah. But that's okay. In one sense of, you know, it's important to study uh, scripture at that level, at least for me, it has been. But coming back to it, having gone into all that detail, mm. I feel that I'm, I'm actually um, better off now in one sense in that I'm much more sensitive to what to look for. And I think what we'll cover yeah. in this is what to look for. Because what, what I want to get across as much as possible is the big message of this, yep. uh, the, the, the intended effect that this is meant to have, because I think that's what it means to read and understand the revelations 
of the book. As yeah. it says, you know, blessed is, where is that? Where does it say? V- verse three, right in chapter one, yeah. blessed. I love, I love this, uh, this promise. Blessed is the one who reads aloud. Yeah the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it for the time is near. Isn't that great? Uh, it's it, What other book is is given the promises of this yeah. book? And the other thing I want to say, there's a reason why this book of Revelation is the last book. Yeah. You know, we've got to keep it in context of the whole story. Yeah. You know, and this is what I love what we do, Matt, going through Thrive. And even before we started the Thrive podcast, we had the deeper podcast before doing the chronological look at the Bible. And sometimes we we open up the book of Revelation and we treat it in isolation to everything else. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. This is the end of a story that started back in Genesis. It's the end of the story. Interestingly, um, in the Bible program, a Bible software program that I use, it's called Logos Bible Software. And it has this feature, which is a canvas, you know, you lay this and, and you can pull everything into this sort of, to set things out. Mm. It's a great research tool. And I, I set the verse out in one narrow column and I started putting all of the all of the other biblical allusions, like all the Old Testament allusions in mm. the left-hand column. Yeah. And I was running out of space. <laughs> this this book is truly the culmination of yes. everything else. It The allusions to the rest of the Bible in this are constant. Yeah. Just about every verse is alluding yeah. to something else, yeah. other language that's used. Yeah. So, the and this is the thing about the book of Revelation, the more that you know the rest of the scriptures, mm. the more this will make sense because this is the lid. Oh. This, is, this is the ending to a story and you've kind of got to know the rest of the story to understand the ending. It's, again, in a really bad analogy, it's like coming in at the end of a movie and going, yeah. oh, yeah, I get it. I get it. The good guy does. And you're like, no, you didn't get the whole reason why <laughs> right. she said that and he yeah. looked there and why they were where, you know, you don't get all That's of right. that. Yeah. But if you, if, if, uh, and again, I don't want to make, I don't want to make anybody feel like, well, then this is not for me as we, as we're about to enter into this study. We're going to do our very best to, to bring in those, you know, um, you know, all of those, uh, you know, references and the illusions and the purpose of it. But I tell you what, it's one of these things, and this is the beauty of the word of God. This is the beauty of the Bible is that the longer you spend your life in it, the more that you'll find yourself in it yeah, and the more right. that it speaks to yeah. you, you know, type of thing. So yeah. uh, in, in overlooking here, Matt, a couple of, and again, I'm trying to set up this bigger picture. This is, again, tell me if I'm wrong here and tell, I'd love to know what you're feeling about this. Uh, this is all about Jesus. Totally. Yeah, this is this is the victorious Messiah. Yeah who defeats evil yeah. f- once and for all and who is victorious and establishes a new heavens and a new earth. This is mm. what this is about. And and he does this in response to prayer. One of the really interesting things about this book is the way that the prayers of the saints are, will ha- have a punctuating effect yes. throughout this book. Yep. And what happens is deliberately depicted as happening in response to the cries of the saints of God. Yep. Often pictured like incense going yeah. up. There's the picture of incense that's used. Beautiful. And again, it's a, that's an allusion to the tabernacle with the incense before the curtain and yep. so forth. It's uh, I, I love the way that it, it pulls that together. So there's this sense that this is what is happening. This is like world history, but from a heavenly perspective. Mm. 
And if you ever get lost, here's my here's my advice, and I've said this to multiple people as they're as we're all getting ready with Thrive and, uh, you know, in, in what we do as a church and as yeah. what we're doing here as the podcast and we even have small groups around this type of mm. stuff and we're getting ready for the book of Revelation, people are scared about the book of Revelation. <laughs> it's like uh, people really are because they, they see it as like beyond their pay grade. Like I, I'm not smart mm. enough to understand this. And I keep saying to them, if you get lost – Go back to chapter one. Just read chapter one again and then read whatever you're reading in the context of chapter one because chapter one sets up, like the opening thing, this is a revelation of Jesus. Mm. This is, you know, this is a revelation of Jesus. And there's a two, there's a two, uh, I'd love to get your opinion on this. There's a two way we can read that, the revelation of Jesus Christ. Is this a revelation coming out of the mouth of Jesus or is this a revelation that we have as we look at Jesus Christ? It's a, that's um, a good question. It's a revelation of Jesus Christ and what he is doing and what he's going to do. Yeah. And uh, it's a revelation from God, so let's not separate yes. uh, cr- you know, Christ from God because what becomes very evident here is that that Jesus and God are... Uh, what's the word, uh, completely identified yes. uh, throughout this book. Yeah. And we'll see that as that as this unfolds. Oh, the Trinity is, yeah. is it is rich in, in uh, yeah. you know, the theology of the Trinity throughout yeah. the entire book. Yeah, it's, it's very, it is really picturesque. And, and I think the key here is not to get too caught up in the complexities, but I think you'll find if you think about this and think about the pictures and think about, if, if possible, and, and again here, the more that you know the rest of the Bible, the more you are equipped to understand this book because almost everything, as I said, almost everything is an allusion to something else. Uh, this is written in biblical language and biblical imagery. All mm. the images are biblical images. So you've got to think, where have we seen this image before? Mm. And, and I think that's going to help you to understand the images and ha- how they work within this book. Yeah. And that's one of the things that we'll point out as we go through. Yeah. But also that the other thing is, like the bringing back the art analogy that you brought up at the beginning, Matt, like so many things in Scripture, we get lost in wanting to know, okay, what does it signify and what does this yeah. mean and everything like What's the secret symbols and everything like that? Yeah. And there's a beauty to that. I think God honours that for if we're doing that in yeah. the right art. But sometimes the initial gut reaction that we have to something happening brought out in front of yeah. us, we're supposed to feel that for a little while, just yeah. wh- whatever that gut reaction is, you know, and then I saw whatever it is, you know, Christ standing in, in, in with lampstands and everything like that, and you want to go, well, what does this signify? And it's got no, 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 just just hold the picture for a minute. Yeah. What do you feel from that picture? Mm. What? And again, I'm not saying that feelings are more important than knowledge or anything like that, but yeah. I, sp- I think we're supposed to feel something as we read this book. Yeah. And- and this is where, if as much as possible, we can feel and we can identify with the biblical world in this, yep. uh, the more that we'll, like, for example, Jesus standing among the lampstands, well, that's like a priest in the temple of God mm-hmm. standing amongst the lampstands. And what you know, what, do the, what were the lampstands always intended to stand for and so forth? And yep. then you start to get this picture of what is intended. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, listen, man. Let's let's get into it. And and uh, for this for this uh, initial episode, as we get into the Book of Revelation, uh, we we uh, you know we'll see how far we get into because I've got a feeling we can we can really get stopped. But I want to take a moment and say, okay, let's have a look at it. When was the book written? Who wrote it? What's the circumstance of the origin of this book? Well, it's one of the last of the books actually written of the New Testament. Yeah. This is written probably in the nineties. Now, some people. There are, there are differing theories uh, on this, but yeah. uh, I think I think the m- the most credible is that it's written in the 90s AD, mm-hmm. and that it's written by John, and most probably I don't think there's any real reason to doubt this because there's strong witnesses to this in the church fathers, most probably by John, the apostle John, who was an apostle of Christ. And one of the 12 disciples. One of the 12 disciples, uh, who was the only one that wasn't martyred in terms of killed martyred, but he was martyred in the sense that he was an exile in this sense. So he is suffering exile on the island of Patmos, which is just off the uh, western coast of Turkey. Okay. Uh, in, in the midst of an archipelago of islands. They had a little civilization, and I think sometimes we think of John living in a cave. It did have a, have a, a town there and so forth. Yep. This is to keep him away. out of trouble and yeah. away from the rest of the church. Now, he is, he is you know, the Apostle John, the, the disciple John, you know, he also wrote the, the Gospel of John. Yeah. He wrote his account, you know, mm. which is an incredible yeah. theological. And this, the Book of Revelation, is is mirrors that in a lot yeah. of ways as well. There's a lot of lot of connections does, there. Yeah. But uh, John described himself often in the Gospel of John as the as the the one that Jesus loved. Mm. Didn't want to even like he, it was almost like a pseudonym, a pen yeah. name, because he wanted yeah. to be uh, you know humble. He was obviously you know, and tradition says this, and 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 obviously, if he's writing it at this age, one of the youngest, if not the youngest, disciple that Jesus yeah. had had with him, and he was one of the inner circle of Jesus's. Mm. You know, Jesus had the inner twelve, and then within that, he had these inner inner three, and yeah. young John, this young. Yeah. Probably a teenager yeah. was one of those one of those people, yeah. and now we have him very old, yeah. you know, very yeah. old uh, in uh, you know in exile at the end of his life, mm. you know, getting this uh, you know uh, um, tri- like the word is triumphant revelation yeah. from Jesus here. Uh, is there anything else to be known about the context of the time, the history yeah. of it? So, if that's the case, and and look, most. Uh, most of the datings put this book within in the context of a period of persecution. Yeah, that's certainly the case if it's around ninety five uh, AD, which I think um, is a very credible dating for this book. So th- this puts this in a period of of dire hardship for the church and persecution, and so it's important to keep that in mind that this is written to give hope to a persecuted church. So we've got to read it through that through that lens. So they're being encouraged to see this as a spiritual battle. They're not to fight with worldly weapons, mm. but to continue to pray. There's a real encouragement here. Mm. The prayers that are going up are going to come back down mm. in this form. Okay. So uh, the cries, uh, they've seen many people martyred. What's going to happen with them? Where are they? Well, we see the martyrs in heaven crying out to the, how long till you judge the inhabitants of this earth. Um, it's interesting from a modern perspective, the idea of crying out for God to bring judgment is not so familiar to us. Again, that's because 
we don't live in the kind of situation that these people live in. If we lived in a situation where we were being persecuted, mm. where family members were being killed, where we had friends and family who had been – and the kinds of things that were done to the Christians are, were, were absolutely terrible mm. – um, we would be crying out for justice and judgment too. These people saw human evil against God's purposes like – we could not imagine. So, so historically, we have the Christians being a persecu- persecuted class yep. in in Roman society. Yeah, we still have a, a you know the Roman emperor system in place. Yeah, and the Roman Empire is thriving. Yeah, at, at, at this point, like you know, so do we know? And I know different people have different opinions. Do we know who is ruling? Over over the yeah, Roman probably Empire? Domitian. If well, if it's if it's ninety five, it'd be Domitian. Some people put this in the reign of Nero, yes. um, because six six six, according to uh, that numerology, uh, spells out um, N- Nero Caesar. Yep. So um, so some people uh, think that that means Nero, but in in a lot of look, it's most probable that. Yes, it spells that out, but it's this kind of thing. It, he will be this type of yeah. he's this type of leader. So is Nero later? No, Nero is in the is in the sixties. Yeah. He's earlier in the sixties. Yeah. So we're talking about Demi- yeah, we're talking about the Emperor Domitian, if you know Roman history. So that there were there was still great. N- Nero is the first pe- persecutor, and I think yes. that's the he he has this he becomes a sort type. of a type that's set up yep. as the first systematic persecutor of, of the Christians. Mm-hmm. So um, the, the number of the B666 referring to Nero uh, is indicating a type, I think. Okay. That doesn't okay. necessarily lock the book into that, no. into that time period. Is there anything else about the historical context that you want to bring us out to remember as we enter into it? Um, no, I think I think – We'll leave it at that, and and I think more will come as we as we go through it. Unless yeah. there's anything that you can think no, of. No, it's just that general principle. And we're now going into a book of prophecy, and we've seen this again and again and again and again as we look through Old Testament prophecy, and even the prophecy of Jesus and the and you know some of the other stuff we read. When it comes to when it comes to prophecy in the Bible. There's a principle at play that I think we need to remember in the Book of Revelation because I think it's very apt in the Book of yeah. Revelation. Does prophecy have an ultimate fulfillment at in a place in history and time? Yes. Yeah. In biblical prophecy, does it have shadow or partial fulfillment yeah. or types before yeah. it happens? Multiple times. Yes, 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 yes. yes, yes. Right. I think the book of Revelation should be looked at that filter because it was written for the church that John yeah. was writing to. For yeah. the churches, and we'll see that. That's a very good point, yeah. Th- there was actual churches that he was writing to for people of the time. So do we then say, well, it was written for them, it's not for us? No, of yeah. course not. And, and there, there are people that have argued that this is, and, and this is known as the preterist view, which is it's all about them. It yes. was all fulfilled then. It's all about uh, what's going on yeah. there and then. I mean, I think some of those people uh, project within that situation, then a final coming of Christ. Mm. Um, But this is where exactly, as you say, this typology is set up. So what they're facing at the time is the, you know, in Thessalonians, Thessalonians, it talks about the rise of the man of lawlessness, that Mm. that, 
that Christ is not going to return and bring about the end of all things and the judgment until the man of lawlessness, he talks about man of lawlessness has got to come first. And then Paul says, and the power of lawlessness is already at work in the world. Yeah. And this is this is the typology that's, it's, it's working with uh, a type of what is going to be. And yeah. so I think we can say, yes, it's about what's happening at the time. Yeah. And what's happening at the time isn't to them is an indication of the age and even of the end of the age and of why Jesus is going to do what he's going to do at the end of the age. Yeah. Now, what we're going to see throughout this book is an increasing polarization. The judgments are going to ramp up uh, and they're going to polarize people. Uh, God, you know, God's going to turn up the heat. And we're going to see some people praising and worshipping God and other people shaking the fist and cursing God. It's literally going to be that mm. level of polarisation as mm. we move through this book. Uh, so this is, uh, this is Jesus' picture of the wheat and the tares coming to fruition. Yep. As Jesus said, the wheat's already been sowed. Sorry, the wheat and the, te- the, the, wheat and the weeds. Mm. The wheat's already been sowed. The weeds have been sowed. Mm. They're already in the world. The systems... You know these kingdoms are are advancing in the world. The kingdom of God is going to be victorious, but as the kingdom grows, so too does the uh, does its counterpart. Yeah. And what we see here is the final culmination of this. Okay. One last question before we and we we we, we promise we're actually <laughs> going to get into it. All right, because I, I don't want to skip over chapter one. I think chapter one is just. So such a, it's the cornerstone of the entire book. It's the cornerstone yeah. of understanding the entire book. Right at the beginning, right in the very first couple of verses, we get uh, we get um, in, in, in fact in verse one uh, we get the point, th- and it's a theme that we're going to have a lot. And I think it's something that you should speak to at the beginning, Matt. We get the, we get introduced to angels. Mm. Right and my goodness, we we've got more. We, um, talk about the most, mm. you know, the biggest cast in this book is angels. So in verse one, is you know, we find out that it's a revelation of Jesus Christ that uh, you know God has given him to show his servants. Jesus, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant John. So in, mm. in verse one, we're introduced to an angel straight away. But then we also are introduced to, you know, Jesus is there. Like, and again, this is common through scripture. We get, we hear yeah. about the angels of the Lord, and then all of a sudden it's the Lord, and then it's this. It's, it can be a little bit confusing, these heavenly creatures and how the heavens operate. Anything you want so, to say to that? Uh, the, the word angel there is angelos, which, which means messenger. He sent his messenger. Mm. Okay. And we see the activity of angels as me- as the messenger of God right throughout Scripture. So in this sense, it is very deliberately, the way that this is done is deliberately done in a way that is very consistent with everything else. And there's a sense in which when something really important is being said, there's this angelic uh, presence mm-hmm. delivering that message. So uh, the angel of the Lord and Moses uh, angel of the Lord appears to Joshua at that very crucial time. Uh, we we see the the angels, you know, the angels, angelic beings, whatever they were, that appeared to Ezekiel and to Daniel. This is a this signifies that something prophetic of that nature is actually happening here. So yes. this is not just here's some nice encouragement for you. It it elevates this to a level of prophecy like Ezekiel and Daniel. In fact, the kinds of creatures, 
angelic beings that he's going to meet here uh, are the, pretty much the same as those or very similar to those seen by Ezekiel and Daniel and Isaiah. Yeah. yeah. So this is signalling that we're talking about things that not only are happening but things that are up ahead. It's signalling that kind of thing. Mm, so mm. this is to elevate this that this is not just something for John, but this is something for John and the whole church at the time. And by the way, it's written to the seven churches in the province of Asia. Um, so the province of Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey. Mm-hmm. So there's like a circuit of churches in present-day Turkey. Um, I'm currently, by the way, as a little side, I'm we, putting together <laughs> I'm putting together a, a sort of tour kind of, uh, churches, early church, these early churches plus footsteps of Paul kind of uh, a tour. Watch this space uh, because uh, I'm really we, getting excited about the idea we, of doing something like a – well, it's a church tour, but, you know, we might be able to throw it open a little wider. You're, you're talking about an actual – let's get on a plane and go over to these actual yeah, places. I want to go to these places. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love it. I love it. So there, so this is an important point here as we – because straight away Jesus – is revealed to John, yep. you know, in chapter one. And he says, this is the letter to the seven churches. These are seven actual churches yep. that were existing yep. in in the time of John, in the time, you know, yep. some of them set up by the Apostle Paul yep. and his crew, yep. you know, and they are thriving churches. This is the early church in its earliest form, That's right. a mix of Jewish people and Gentiles yep. coming together, forming this brand new thing, yep. and this is who Jesus is 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 writing. Yeah, into. that's right. So he, well, it's it's addressed specifically to these seven churches, but it's it's seven. The fact that it's seven churches mm. is indicative of the fact that it's really addressed to the whole church for all time. Yeah. It's like the complete church. So, and and even even the message that's given to these seven churches. It, it, it goes beyond just these seven churches. This is a message for the whole church. That's from the beginning. This is the way that this was understood. This is for the whole church. Yeah. And and you've brought up a great point. And the last point I want to leave here as we enter into the book of Revelation, and it's a book and it's something that we've we've mentioned quite a bit, but I'll let you speak on it here. Numbers. Yeah, yeah, right through this book, numbers have important symbolic significance. Uh, you know, we have the number seven, the number twelve. Uh, 24, we're going to meet 24 elders, two lots of 12, that's significant. Uh, 144,000, again, a, a mul- multiple of, of 12. Yes. Uh, a thousand, thousand years. They're all... They're seven all, years, half of a yeah, seven year Yeah, half of a seven, so it's, yeah. an, it's a incomplete, like a period that's deliberately limited, a seven-year period that this is it and that's no more um, sense of completeness. So numbers throughout, again, throughout... The Bible numbers have a symbolic kind of significance to it. Um, And so we're going to see numbers used in that way throughout this book. I love it. I love it. Let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're actually going to dive deep into (laughs) the uh, first few chapters here of the book of Revelation on Thrive Deeper.
Hey there family, it's your old pal DJ here and I want to let you know about something a little bit different that I would love you to get involved in if you're interested. This is not going to be for everybody. I haven't done for 2020 yet a Bible read-through. I love to read through the Bible every year. Well, I haven't even started one and we're already in May. So what I've done is I've been very ambitious and I have written my own chronological Bible reading program that we can do together in six months. A six-month read through the entire Bible in chronological order as it happened. Now, if that sounds fascinating to you, if that sounds interesting and you're ready for the challenge, it's not going to be that hard, especially with a lot of the audio Bible apps that are available now. Plus, I want to use social media to encourage you every day in our daily reading guide. So that is what my plan is. Starting on the 1st of June, finishing at the end of November, over six months, we're going to read through the Bible chronologically together. Now, if that sounds exciting then here's what you need to do. Follow me on social media, D-J-P-A-I-N-E. That's pain with an E on the end. You can follow me on social media. You'll find me across any social media that you choose, uh, whether that's Facebook or whether that's uh, Instagram, Twitter, whatever one you want to be on. You'll find me there. You can contact me through there. Or better yet, head over to thrivetoday.tv. Thrivetoday.tv. TV. Use the contact form and just let me know, hey DJ, I'm interested in the six-month Bible reading program. It's totally free. I'm going to give you all the material you need and I want to encourage you as I go through it as well. So that's what we're going to be doing on the 1st of June. I know, I know, you've probably got a lot of other stuff going on and I expect this only for the brave few who want to commit the time to do this. It's not going to be that much time and like I said, audio Bibles are fantastic for this. So Join with me on the 1st of June. You can uh, use the contact form at thrivetoday.tv and we will read through the Bible together in six months. Let's do it. All right. Now, back into the book of Revelation with Matthew Jacoby on Thrive Deeper. It's DJ and Matthew here, Thrive Deeper. I'm excited because it's time we're getting into the book of Revelation. We're going to spend the next three months gloriously swimming through this beautiful book. I cannot Mm. wait. Matthew, as we enter into these first few chapters here, um, I don't want to, it's very easy to gloss over chapter one, but, uh, you know, tell me as you're rereading chapter one again, what did you take away from it? So um, it's, Addressed, you know, this is very clearly this revelation to John, and it says it's from the seven spirits before his throne. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna see this reference to seven spirits, and a lot of people already here say, "What is seven spirits and talking about?" I, I, I literally had my wonderful wife Benita shout out to to Benita, a big fan of the podcast. Uh, she she came to me and she said, and depending on the translation that you're reading, the sevenfold spirit yeah. of. What is going on yeah. there? Well, the sevenfold spirit is a, I think, a good translation. It's a good. It's it's slightly explanatory. Yeah. Um, 
uh, and, and, and I think it can be translated that way. And that's probably the best way to translate this because, you know, I think, look, it could be referring to seven archangels. It could be referring to part of the heavenly retinue. But by far most commentators say this is actually a way of referring to the Holy Spirit mm. the, in the complete sense, the sevenfold spirit. Yep. So this is an example of where numbers are. So this, it's not yep. like, oh, there were seven spirits. No, no, that's not how numbers really work in this. This is the fullness of the spirit, okay? Um, so this is um, this is coming from uh, the Holy Spirit. And immediately we're, we're drawn to notice, look, he is coming on the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the peoples of the earth will mourn because of him. Uh, allusions to Daniel seven and Zechariah twelve already there mm. that that these that this is going to be fulfilled. Uh, this is what is happening. I am the Alpha, the Omega. We're going to get that at the end. And then he he talks about the fact that I he says I, your John, your brother and companion in suffering, uh, and kingdom and patient endurance. So again, this is the context is set up mm-hmm. here. This is a context of persecution. He says on the Lord's day, which is Sunday. Mm-hmm. which is the first day of the week. So mm-hmm. by this time, well and truly, the, the sort of Christian uh, day that they set aside was the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Mm. He says, I was in the Spirit and I heard bev- before me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches. Mm-hmm. Now, straight away to any biblically informed reader, this signals this is something like Isaiah, yep. Ezekiel. Ezekiel. De- this is this this yep. is this kind of thing. It's exactly, you know, um, Ezekiel was taken up yes. in the spirit. Yep. The loud voice, like a, like a trumpet, uh, is there in 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 from the mountain Mount yep. Sinai yep. In, in the time of Moses. Uh, write on a scroll, mm. God said to Moses. So yep. this is this is. Bible writing stuff here. Oh, Old Testament Jewish yeah, Bible writing. This is prophetic stuff here. Anybody who knows their Old Testament, immediately, like you say, it's their ears are pricked up, and they're putting John exactly in the yeah. same same camp of that. So, so I think this really, you know, this elevates this whole thing and the expectancy that we should have in, in reading reading this. The same expectancy uh, for for elsewhere, but this is really lifting that here. Mm. So it's interesting that he heard the voice and. And he turned around to see the voice, it says this, that was speaking to me. And he turns and he sees this stunning vision that actually causes him to fall down as though dead. Again, a typical prophetic reaction. So he he is confronted with a theophany. Mm -hmm. This is again familiar to at key points in the biblical accounts, people who are entrusted to write really key moments of biblical revelation down had these kind of theophanies. Moses Now theophany is a is a big fancy word to oh, say for a manifestation of God. Yeah. Like God appears but in a really dramatic way. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because it's to signify that something really is important is happening here. Okay. And and let me let me make a note of this. If we make a note of theophanies of of all these prophets seeing glimpses of God in the past, John Dare I say it is having one that that far far surpasses, I believe, the more put together because he is seeing Jesus in this glorified way that, like again, a, a good example is Isaiah when he gets a glimpse of God's train filling the table, like the the robe of God filling the table. 
you know, filling the temple. He was he was like a dead person. Well, this is the interesting thing about this, actually. It's the difference yes. that actually is interesting. Yeah. Now, this is expressed in in similar terms, and and the even the way that that some of the languages here uh, is used clearly says this is theophany, right? So this is like what Moses experienced when mm-hmm. Moses encountered God. This is like what Ezekiel and Daniel encountered when they, when they had, or, or, you know, Jeremiah has yeah. this vision and Isaiah has this vision of God and yep. his train filled the, t- you know, mm-hmm. he was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Um, what they don't say is that he looked like a son of man. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so this, so straight away, God is now a man. Yeah. So how did that happen? Well, it happened because God came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. I love it. So now, now God is seen as someone who actually is walking on the earth. So this is this is the key. The, he's, there's this sense that um, he is uh, he is he is coming, and yet he's this earthly figure mm-hmm. yet in in heavenly array. Yeah. So this is the God man now. Yeah. Yeah. This is not just a God that is separated, but a God who's come in human form. And yet the same reaction ensues. There's no less majesty. There's no less awe. It's the same reaction. He falls down as though dead. Yeah. It's it's the confrontation with the glory of God. And I and I want to make this point and it's and it's not and it's again, I'm reading deeper into the into it or just yeah. bringing my dumb, you know, uh, you know, mind to it. We're talking about the Apostle John. We're talking about a John. Yeah. We're talking about John who spent years with the physical man, Jesus, yeah. you know, in, in Jerusalem. Yeah. You know, and when we say years, ate with him. Yeah. You know, walked with him, lent against him, you know, physically was there. And 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 John's yeah. writings are beautiful in the sense that he describes, you know, the theology of, of of Christ in such an amazing way. But he also spends a lot of time talking about the physicality of Christ yeah. and, you know, and that he was a man and that he was a person. Yeah. Now, in seeing Jesus glorified here as God, mm. John's response isn't, hey, Jesus. Yeah. It isn't like, hey, bud, I've yeah. missed you for the last, you know, 60 years, 70 years. You know, he doesn't get – there's not a mm. – you know, there's not this familiarity. There's not this thing. I mean, John knows who it is. John knows more than anybody yeah. else who it is, but he still can't help himself as like, oh, I'm dead and false. Well, falls well he's completely <laughs> overwhelmed. This yeah. is the, this is the, the, the grandeur of what he is confronted with yeah. is so overwhelming that he, he, he's knocked absolutely bowled over. He says as though dead. Now, this is something like this. He's already had a taste of this. Remember when yes. on on the Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Transfiguration, yeah, where Jesus was transfigured in front of Peter, James, and John, mm. and they there's similar reaction. They fall on the ground and they hide their faces yeah. because Jesus is glorified, and and it's not just about the sight; it's the it's the weight of what they sense yeah. of the presence of God, and it's so overwhelming mm-hmm. that. It's you know they're just consumed by it in a way that they're unable to look and this is you know this is like Moses you would die if you know in, in um, chapter thirty three of Exodus yep. I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock and you can see my back because you can't handle seeing my face yep. it's like our finite capacities cave in yep. 
when we are confronted with the infinite majesty of God. And so this is this is what's happening here. Now, again, the difference, because these theophanies has, has, have happened before, yeah. but now all of this glory is contained in one who looks like a son of man. That's mm. the key thing here. So this is a God who's who has come to us, and now he comes to John, and he can say to John, uh, Get up! You don't need to. Don't be afraid. Yeah. You don't need to be afraid of me. Yeah, which is the same thing that heaven says every time heaven comes to earth. The one, the, the first message is, "Don't be afraid." Fear yeah, not. and and you know, I mean, uh, was it Isaiah's response? I, I'm a man of unclean yeah. lips. I'm undone. Yeah, I'm, I'm woe to me. I'm yeah. undone because of the holiness of God. Mm. It's not just the majesty, but the sense of absolute perfection. And you know, again. Jesus can say here because it's Jesus because mm. of what he has done to make provision for our guilt. You don't need to be afraid of me. I love it. You don't need to, you don't need to cower uh, because there's only good news for you. And, yeah. and he's going to, what ensues is the bringer of the good news. Now, just some details about that vision. Yes. Um, so he says, uh, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man. Now, the lampstands were a symbol in the temple, and they were a symbol ultimately of uh, of what of the fact that God is light, but also of the calling of God's people that they were called to be a light to the nations. Mm. Okay, mm. so. So the fact that there's seven lampstands here and the fact that this is written to seven churches mm-hmm. um, and and from l- things that are said later on, mm-hmm. because it talks about I'll remove your lampstand and that, that's – this is Jesus standing in his church. Yes. That's what's happening here. Yeah. So Jesus is not somewhere else. Yeah. No, Jesus – is actually in the midst of his church and they are burning like lampstands. This is what he's showing them. This is what you are. This is what Jesus wants to say to these churches first and foremost. You are the light of the world and I am standing among you. Now, he, he is seen wearing a robe down his feet with a golden sash around his chest. This is like a combination of both kingly and priestly attire. Yes. So he's not just the priest, this is the Priest, king, here, Jesus. And then the hair in his head is white as wool and his eyes are like blazing fire. Now, this is the interesting thing. This is the white like wool is is a um, figure of authority and wisdom. Mm -hmm. So he's coming with absolute wisdom and absolute authority. And his eyes are like blazing fire. Now, this this is refining fire. This is like judgment, like I see everything. This is important for... Because he's going to write, the first thing that he's going to do is to come to the churches and bring judgment to the yeah. churches. Like Why this is what Revelation is going to show us is mm. what is God bringing judgment into the world. But the first thing that happens is that Jesus comes into the church and he brings judgment into the church. Yeah, like just think about that for a moment. Yeah, that's the first thing. So he comes with these. Blazing eyes, and 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 it's a picture again. We see that we see that same, you know. Let all the pictures of of the refining yeah. fire and everything through the scripture, you know, take place. And one of the things, you know, Paul talks about the refining fire for the church and for the believer. And we think of it, you know, sometimes we can think of it as an abstract thing. John brings it here and he goes, "No, the refining fire that judges you yeah. as a Christian is the eyes of Christ." Yeah. You know, is the refining yeah. fire. It's a it's a beautiful picture. Yeah, and. 
and he's seen, you know, uh, he he's seen with this sword coming out of his mouth. This is a this connects with a, a vision later on yes. in um, Revelation nineteen, mm-hmm. which shows judgment being inflicted on the nations by the sword that comes out of the mouth of the rider on the white horse. I mean, yep. we'll get to this. Which who is Jesus again? Yes. So this is the judgment. His word is going to cut. Yeah. Right. His word is going to pronounce judgment, and it's. Like in the beginning, when God created by His Word, yeah. all evil is going to be defeated, not by some prolonged struggle, no, but simply by the Word from His mouth, yeah. He's going to bring judgment. Now, the interesting thing here, initially, is that He's seen in the midst of His church with this bringing everything to light with the sword coming out of His mouth. Yeah. Now, the sword is going to be, is going to be wielded first over the church. Yeah. And we're going to see him say, "You better sort this out, or I'm going to strike you with the th- with the sword that comes from my mouth." And and where have we seen a two edged, or where we've heard about a two edged sword before? The Book of Hebrews, yeah. the Word of God. It's a two edged sword that's right. and cuts. A, so this is coming. Where does that come from? It comes from the mouth of Christ. Yeah, that's right. And I mean, we've we've heard this in Isaiah eleven four. It says, "But with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips he will slay the wicked." Right now, that gets fulfilled uh, at the end. But lest the church say, "Yeah, come on <laughs> and come on, Lord, and and bring judgment all those evil people out there," yeah. he comes. He says, "Oh, I'm here, and I'm going to bring it on you first. No, and, and again, you know, this is this is a uh, a judgment of salvation here. This is not a judgment of condemnation upon the church. But what he's going to say, and, and we're going to move into chapter two now. Um, what he's going to say to these seven churches, seven times he's going to say, "I know, yeah, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. Yeah. I see you, yeah. And 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 he's going to say." And I have this against you. I have this against you. Yeah. You know, it's like I commend you for this, and I commend you. This is really good. So it's like there is encouragement there, but he it's sees the t- it's the two-edged sword. It's the two-edged sword. It's the two-edged exactly. sword. So leaving chapter one, uh, leaving chapter one, uh, we get the beautiful picture of John falling down, Jesus reaching out to him with his right hand and saying, "I've got a job for you to do." You know, yeah. you know, basically, old friend, here we go. Let's do this, and and in, and. Without you know, and I and I'm not a big fan of Bible summaries that try to distill it down to one theme, one thing, or anything like that. But pretty much, we get the whole gist of what John is going to spend the rest of the book doing in in verse 19 of verse one, yeah. where Jesus says, "Write therefore the things that you have seen, yeah, the things that are, are you know, happening yeah. right now, and the things that will take place after this." Which which is a clue to what this is talking about. See, it's not just talking about the distant future, yeah. It's actually talking about things that are happening now and yeah. unfolding now in, yeah. in the world. So that's an important perspective, important hint there. So um, this is this is also reason what I said is also reason to recognise that the seven churches that are written to here have this. Um, uh, what 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 are the um, show us something mm. that they, they they're characteristic of something that they sh- this shows us something about judgment. Judgment begins in the house of God, mm-hmm. and so this Jesus that is going to bring judgment on the world comes first to the house of God, and the fact that there are seven that are chosen. This is like a selection. These seven churches. It's like a you know like a 
cross section. Yeah, it's like, like a cross section yeah, in a way. Yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, you know, because, I mean, there's been a tendency to interpret this in different different ways. Like one interpretation in the past has been that this stands for seven periods of the church through church history. You're bringing the old uh, dispensationalists uh, <laughs> yeah. back back to it. And again, it, that that's where, and I'll be honest with you, you know, just, you know, getting a little bit personal for a second. When I was at Bible college yeah. and it was a very dispensationalist, yeah. you know, style of teaching, yeah. you know, in a, in a very Baptist tradition and, uh, you know, evangelical sort of way. And it was when we went through the book of Re- Revelation, it was we had an American teacher teaching us the yeah. book of Revelation. And it was when he started teaching about the seven church ages and the charts went up on the wall. That was the first time in my little mind, my little, you know, universe <laughs> where the cracks started appearing and, the, and I was like, hang on, you've just, we, we've just been learning about, you know, and it came at, a, yeah. at an interesting time. We've just been learning about the Reformation and we're learning about that scripture interprets scripture and, you know, it, it needs to be in the yeah. text itself. I don't see anything in the text that signifies that this is yeah. seven church ages. Yeah, you, you can't get that, but it's not completely that it's not completely wrong that it, it's it can be applied and it must be applied even to the church yeah. of, of this whole but uh, for but but, but, but and again for, for people who are going, in, hang on, what are you talking sense. about? What are you talking about seven church ages and stuff? So we go into these seven churches, we're gonna see seven churches, and what what some people would teach and what some people in the last couple of hundred years will lay out as far as a dispensationalist view is, okay, that first church covers churches from, you know, this year to that year. Yeah. And then the next church age started yeah. and it yeah. was this, this, and now we're in the Laodicean age and it's from this year to this. They're actually putting years on it and and, and, yeah. and things like that. Which is funny because in some ways it kind of works. <laughs> at first, at <laughs> first like, this is fantastic. Yeah, it's attractive because it, it does hold true in some senses. Yeah. But I think all of these letters are always true Amen. for the church of all ages. Say that so again, I say that again, Matt, because that is so important. Yeah. So all of these letters to these seven churches are always true. True for all of the church yeah. of all time. Yeah. In this age, that is. And, and I'll go even one step closer. And this is my big takeaway as I've been rereading and re-listening to these uh, you know, first few chapters again and again and again. They are all true of all the churches of all the ages. And when I, when we say the church, I, I they are all true of me. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Personally, me yeah. right now, all the time, you know, it is. Is a personal application. If you yeah. if you skim through these first few chapters and yeah. do not apply it to yeah. your heart, yeah. I, I think we're doing Christ a disservice here. This is what John and and Jesus was doing was wanting to bring a word yeah. to us now. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and I think that's where you know we we always have to begin with where we are, it, no matter what we're facing. These are churches that were facing severe persecution, terrible injustices, oh. and yet they are encouraged to look at themselves first. Let's look at you first. Let's see how you're going. Let's see what shape you're in. Yeah. And then we can deal with what's happening uh, out there. So, you know, if you're in a situation of conflict or or injustice or, you know, something terrible is happening, I think it's always important that we focus on how we are responding. Let's look at our response because we can't control what other people do, yeah. but we can decide how we respond and how we are going to process things. So um, I think that is a really important principle that that comes out of this. And and so he, he starts with the churches. And I think what the way that we'll do this is we'll perhaps talk about some general features of this as opposed to going through everyone in detail. Yeah, yeah. Um, interestingly, some of the churches are... Most of the churches have a mixture of, like, 
to every church it says, and here's the pattern. Let's yes. talk about the patterns first. That's actually. great. This That's is a good great. way to start. Yep. So it talks about to the angel of the church in Ephesus, right? Yep. So there's this sense of this is being, it elevates what this, this is being delivered by an angel. So it's really, really important. It's mm-hmm. like this comes with heavenly retinue. And that was part of the revelation that, that, that uh, we read in chapter one. John sees Christ in the seven lampstands. The lampstands are, you know, Jesus says, "Here's the mis- here's, here's, here's what the it symbolizes." But he also sees in his hands, he's got seven, you know, yeah, stars. That's right. The stars are the angels to the churches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Now, I know there's different ways we can interpret. Look, you've already said angels means, uh, you know, messenger. Yeah. These are the messengers to the ch- churches. Are these heavenly messengers? Are these the pastors of the churches now? Uh, you know, how would you interpret that? I've heard it. I've heard it done both ways. Um, yeah, I, I've I've heard a number of of guesses at yeah. this, and I think they're all <laughs> guesses. Look, look, I, I think they're, I think they're angels because I think this is about elevating yes. this revelation. This yeah. revelation. So again, I, I'm as soon as I come to any question about this, I straight away cross reference in my mind, mm-hmm. and I think, why to an angel? Why, oh, well, of course, it's because whenever something really important needs to be delivered, it gets delivered as it were in the hands of with a heavenly yes. retinue, as it were. And, yep. and so, so this comes with like a heavenly procession. It comes yep. in the hands of an angel, right? Okay. So this is really important. God wants to speak to uh, Abraham, and and he sends three angels. Yeah. You know. So, mm-hmm. so it comes that that kind of elevates the significance of that moment. So I think that's what that's talking about. So, so, that, the, so each letter to the church starts to the angel of this, and then it has this is it, it gives a description of Christ, the words of. Yeah, you know, that's and, right. And then he describe, you know, describes yep. himself basically. That's right. Uh, uh, the word; these are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand. That's right. Then there's there's always the I know. Yeah, I know your works. Yeah, I, I know. I, I see it. I yeah. see everything. Just remember that. Uh, you know, I know your deeds. You, and and generally, there are two aspects to this. There is, um, uh, I see, I see things that are commendable. Yeah. Uh, like, for example, in the church to Ephesus, you know, I see your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered, endured hardships. This is a good one because it's quite, it actually contains all of the main themes, yeah. this, uh, this letter. So there's there are words of condemnation and then there are words of rebuke. Yet yeah. I hold this against you. This this is the bit that for me I find chilling. Yeah. Yet I hold this against you. Yeah. I've got something against you. Imagine, imagine God having something against you, and you remained unaware of it, mm. or, or you know, it'd have to be willingly, you know, because there th- has to be some some stirring within you, stirring of conscience that you will have had to have had to have repressed uh, yeah. for this for you not to know. But this, you know, I always find this chilling, yet I have this against you. And so the, coming back to the pattern, we have to the angel, we have a description of Christ. We have Christ saying, I know this, usually something good, yep. and then but yep. something bad. Then there's a promise. That's right. You know, but if you do this, and then he's, and then there's a promise for the overcomer, you know, and he gives yep. some amazing promises That's right. at the end of what's going to happen if he can get through. Yeah. But I, I want to- well, I, I mean, and let me just point something out yeah, about yeah, yeah. that because um, at the end, look, I think it's worth saying too that 
there are some of the churches that he doesn't have anything good to say about. <laughs> that's that's important. Okay. Yeah, and, right. and and also um, there's, so for example, the church in Smyrna, he doesn't have anything bad to say about. Yeah. So, so these do actually differ, yeah, a, a fair bit. Oh, again, yeah, okay. There's a general. Well, it's, I'm it's, saying, yeah, it's, it's not a that general the people pattern. are perfect, yes. but um, yeah, th- th- there there are slight differences in the way this pattern works out. Now, it says repeatedly to every church, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, mm. indicating that there may be an unwillingness to hear this, mm. um, and where you've got to be willing to actually hear this from God. And again, that that beautiful doctrine of the Trinity, it is Christ who is speaking in this glorified yeah. way. Let the Spirit, let understand the Spirit is speaking to yeah. you as he, as he is speaking it forth Yeah, that's here. right. It's, um, and, then, and then it says repeatedly, to the one who is victorious. Mm-hmm. And so it always makes promises. I will give you this. I will, and and if you can put them all together and you get a wonderful array oh. of, of God's promises for mm. the church. But they're, they're given to those who are victorious. Now, being victorious doesn't mean that you earn these promises. Yeah. It means that you haven't let go. You know what I mean? Is that is it's that your faith hasn't let go that you have because the the temptation in these times of persecution was literally to renounce Jesus. Yeah. Um, because of the emperor worship, you need to renounce Jesus and declare there is only one Lord and even Savior. Yeah. Uh, and that's Caesar. Mm-hmm. And so you would have to renounce Jesus. Well, this is uh, this is a, I guess, a encouragement and warning to remain victorious. Don't yeah. let go during during this time. The, the another word in other translation will be to those who conquer. Yeah. So it is using really big language. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, victorious and conquer. Now in this in this verse in this first verse, and I and I and I think this is very. Um, you know, we're running out of time for this first episode here. We haven't even, we're just barely yeah, through yeah. the, through the first, first, uh, you know, the first couple of chapters. Um, John mentions, Jesus mentions, and I think this is important, the Nicolaitans. Yeah. Well, you know? I'll, I'll say something general because this is a constant feature throughout. Yes. Most of these letters are concerned with false teaching of some kind, false Thank prophets. Now yep. these guys were everywhere, all over the place. Yeah. Um, now, uh, I think, I mean, this is something that actually really jumped out at me this time, how much of a concern this was. And, and we can tend to think, because we live in, in, a, in an age where I guess of where tolerance is seen as a virtue. And I get that because there is, because of course, in one sense, you can't force the truth on, on other people. Mm. Uh, you know, so this is not about tolerant, toler, tolerating people out there, okay? So this is about what we tolerate within our own church. Amen. It's what we tolerate of ourselves. Yes. So um, we should, you know, there's, of course, there's lots of evil out in the world and we are to address that in love and grace and, and you know, allow God to do the changing. Um, here, there's a kind of intolerance that we need to exercise Within a, in our own midst, yes. and and the first a point of intolerance here is towards false teaching, because the danger here is this whole movement that is now in its early stages is going to be completely upturned mm. if you know if certain wayward ideas get a hold on the church, and you know ideas are not unimportant. I mean, ideas 
what we be- what we believe is really the foundation of how we live. Amen. So what you believe about God, how you think about God, what you what you expect and so forth, these are really, really important. Mm. So all of these false prophecies, uh, these false prophets, not, not only are they false prophets getting in among God's people and wanting to lead them off, uh, off track, mm. but they're bringing teachings that are going to destroy and destroy. And even at this, and you get this sense that is even in the process of destroying mm. what is happening in the church. So there's a sense in some cases that the work of God is is being greatly diminished in these churches because these people are giving their attention to these false teachers. Now, um, the false teachers themselves are condemned here, but the people themselves are held accountable for heeding these false teachers. Yeah. Now, you know, I, this again, I think is very applicable today because we live in a, in an age that is so where there's just so much misinformation oh. all around us. We're going to be really careful. What what we heed and what we take in, and, and but again, we allow I, our mind to be shaped and I, by. And I, and I love the fact that your pastor's heart, Matt, goes to us today. But also, the point here is that in that early, I mean, we don't don't lose sight of the fact that in the early church at this early point, they were rife with false teachers. Yep. Today, we are right with the, in the, you know we think and we think we're special today with the internet and everything like that. No, I think the point here is that Jesus knew. That all throughout history. Oh yeah, it's warned again and again and again. The, there's false teachers coming again all the way through, trying to remove you know the basics away from us, and and we'll see the way that Jesus describes yep. some of these false teachers is full on. Yeah. So, yeah, that's right. So that's a good point because this is not about you know this person has a different eschatological view to, for me, and you know I'm a pre millennialist and he's a post millennialist. No. He's a false teacher, yeah, therefore. No, yeah. no, no. Or, or he has a different. No, this is this is to do with the fundamental elements of the faith that these yeah. people are leading people astray. And so, um, you know, I think I think we need to treat this kind of thing seriously. And I think because of because this has been done badly, there's a reticence, I think, for people to do this at all. We'll just okay. tolerate everything because, you know, you know, we don't want to seem like we're heresy hunters burning people at the stake. And, you know, there are people out there that seem to, you know, throw the word false teacher at someone who who is a, you know, a mid-tribulational, dispensational, premillennial yeah. false teacher, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. that this gets thrown around far too easily. So, and, and, and because people do this with the wrong attitude and this has been done badly, okay, yeah. so... So therefore, we're just going to what tolerate everything, mm. just believe everything. Mm. No, actually, this is a common concern not only that Jesus warns about uh, false teaching, but it's a concern right through the New Testament. The understanding here is that this is this battle, this spiritual battle, is largely a battle between truth and lie. You know, Satan is is limited from being able to go out and and just like he 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 works through deception mm. um and he is the deceiver that's how he's characterized mm. so the only you know he's he's going to work through deception every time and deception works because it's deceptive <laughs> interesting and, and there's and, something attractive about it yeah and, and there's always something attractive about it and it's always it always contains and, and I think I've said this before and did I say it maybe in a thrive perspectives episode that to me, 
the most powerful lies contain the most p- profound expressions of truth. Mm. Mm. Like I have found expressions of truth, like profound expressions of truth in the midst of the most insidious falsehoods, mm. you know. Mm. Um, it, it's like no one's going to believe your lie if it's just all ridiculous. It has to contain a certain amount of truth to make it credible. It's like it only takes, you know, rat poison, they say, is, you know. 90% yeah, fine. 90% yeah. nutritious. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. it's the 10% that makes it poisonous. Yeah. And this is not, you know, this is not about nitpicking. You know, mm. again, I'm not saying it's not about, oh, it's nitpicking, you know, the tiny little, you know, it's not about the grey areas. False teaching is about really messing with the fundamentals of the faith. So this is a concern throughout these letters, and uh, those who um, who call it what it is are commended, and uh, those who tolerate it, that is, allow it to exist in their midst, you know, allow it to get passed around and allow the influence to exist, uh, they are um, rebuked here in, in these letters. And, and we don't we, know, by the way, the specifics uh, yes. about, because, for example, the Nicolaitans, we really don't know anything about the Nicolaitans. Yeah. We don't have any other influence, uh, any other idea. But even then, the way that it's described, um, for example, uh, in the church to Pergamum, um, there are some of you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites. <laughs> it's put in a way that links back to another biblical episode. Mm-hmm. So it could generally apply to everything. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. you know, there are some, it talks about um, the woman Jezebel uh, in the church to, Thy- to, letter to the church of Thyatira. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By, and So it's using types. Yes. Yep. You know, of the past. Yep. Now, you know, Balaam, you know, led Israel. Initially, he was called to curse, but he blessed. But while he couldn't, bring an outright curse, he advised the king of Moab yep. to send in, um, to to uh, lure them out through this kind of idolatrous prostitution that yes. eventually lured uh, them into this idolatry. So uh, he's saying that kind of thing is happening. That's, yep. that's the kind of thing that's at work. You know, Jezebel, of course, um, was the wife of Ahab that gained the upper hand and you know, and again, this is it's like that kind of thing that you've allowed this this authority to take place uh, that's allowing this false prophecy to exist in your midst. So it's all expressed in a typological way here, yeah. which again underscores the fact that this isn't just about a particular exactly. circumstance. This is for all the church at all time. Okay, now we've run out of time for this opening episode on the Book of Revelation. I think we've we've hit some major themes here, mm. and we're gonna we're gonna continue in a fortnight's time and, and go deeper into uh, you know the letters to the churches because there's a lot there to unpack. Yep. As people are reading through it in the next couple of weeks, Matt, and as they're reading through it now, what's their attitude? What's their to use a, a spiritual word? What's the posture? Yeah, that's we a good should, question. We, yeah. we should be reading these these early. Should we be sitting there going, I'm glad I'm not dumb like those dum-dums? You know, like yeah. what's the attitude that we should have as we read read these? I think we need to read this and ask ourselves, what is Jesus saying to me? I I I believe God's talking to us all the time. We just don't always listen. And if you feel like you're getting the silent treatment from God, or if you feel that you have for a long time, maybe, just maybe, you didn't listen to the last thing that he tried to get through to you. And you're saying, Lord, speak to me, speak to me. And 
perhaps God would say to you, perhaps Jesus would say to you, well, I have actually tried, but you haven't had ears to hear. That is, you haven't been willing to hear. So if you want to hear from God, you ask God the question, Lord, what is it in me that really grieves you right now? What is it that grieves you right now? Let let the work of Christ who comes so graciously and so lovingly, that's so clear in these letters. He comes in love. He says, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in and commune with you. I want to come in and have a relationship of love with you, but you are resisting me in all these ways. It's like Jesus is saying, I've given everything to take away the obstacle to us having a, a loving relationship. Essentially, what is being said here is that you have put obstacles in the way. There are obstacles that you've put there. Now, it's best we know what they are. I want to know what are the obstacles that are preventing me from having the full relationship that I can have with God, to experience the fullness of His favour. Well, I need to listen to that's the first thing. I need. Let's, let the commu- let's get these communication lines unblocked. Let's get ourselves right uh, with God. And we do that simply by listening understanding what he has against us. And then it simply says here, repent, which means not get your life together. Repent is a change of mind. You know, recognize where you went wrong. Take responsibility for that. Ask God for forgiveness and everything will be made right. It's like you can start again with a clean slate today. You just have to recognize where you've gone wrong. Admit that to God, take responsibility for it and walk forwards and God will give you the strength to do it differently. Is it just me or does it feel so good to have started in the book of Revelation? I have been looking forward to this so much over the last few months. I've known it's been coming since last year and oh, to be finally into it, I am I am so I'm so excited. I hope that comes across during the episode as well. Now please if you don't have a physical copy of the Thrive Daily Reading Guide or even a digital ebook version of it, please head over to our home on the internet at Thrive Today tv and order yours today you can get it in time to join us through the book of revelation and every day just a little insightful look from matt there as we read it together i'm excited that you could be a part of this as well so let's get into it the book of revelation with this edition of the thrive daily reading guide it's all available at thrivetoday.tv we'll see you in a fortnight bye-bye Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive.
was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>